one. And welcome everybody to another Smart Money Circle update. I'm Adam Sarhan. With me today is Gov Blacksburg, who's the CEO of Wolf Financial, which is one of the fastest growing social media marketing firms out there. And Gov is a absolutely hats off to you. Fantastic job on Twitter and LinkedIn, all these other social media sites. You have the longest running Twitter spaces and finance, to my knowledge. So absolutely love it. Welcome to the show. Gov, I always like to ask, can you begin by telling your story on how you got to where you are today, please? Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Adam. And it's been quite the journey, really, over the last few years. Pretty traditional finance background, went to Drexel, studied finance, got a job at Goldman Sachs, worked in private wealth management, got a job in private equity, was kind of, you know, going down that, I feel like, pretty traditional path. And then several months into private equity, COVID hits. The firm of that is totally not prepared for COVID. And also, the portfolio companies that I was working on just got decimated and I'm kind of wondering what I'm doing here. I'm basically sitting there every day, just going through government files, figuring out how we can get money from the government to make our companies last. And I get a call from a couple of friends. They asked me if I want to come into the startup world and join one of these social finance companies. This was the early days, but basically building up a social media for finance. And I found it intriguing, joined the company, had my equity share. And I originally started out in more of an operations leadership role. But several months in, once we had product, I moved into the marketing role with the idea that, hey, Let's go out and build on social media. And once we build a presence there, we'll be able to move people onto our social media, right? Because that's where the users are. Yeah. However, as I was building on social media, I really didn't want to come at it as a company. I wanted to come at it as a personality, as a person. And I started creating relationships, having some good times. And about six months in, everything changes because Twitter introduces Twitter spaces. I find Twitter spaces. I'm like the one of the first people to find it. This is when it's in beta, beta, beta. And immediately after listening to two Twitter spaces at one in the morning, I go, I need this. This is going to just happen. So I get in touch with Twitter by cold DMing and emailing everybody that works on the spaces team until somebody responds to me. They give me whitelist access. A week later, I start hosting the first organized panels in the finance world for Twitter spaces. My first panels already are drawing hundreds and thousands of people. It's crazy right off the bat. And the account just starts growing like wildfire. At that point, I grow the account to about 30,000, 40,000 followers. And we're coming into about December of 2021. And things start to change at the firm that I'm working at, which is Wool Financial at the time. That's the startup that I'm at. And the big thing that's changing is we realize we need to go out and raise. However, we're getting the feedback that what we're building right now is not feasible to raise on. And that is because to build a social media that also has finance integrated pieces has so much compliance involved, especially if you're trying to go worldwide, you need such a large raise. And we're basically told, find the good stuff within the company, get rid of everything else and focus in on that. The leadership team focuses in on a product that we've been building, which provided stock insurance, essentially it was an insurance product for stocks. And they decide, hey, we're going to niche down. We're going to take this. We're going to go B2B with it. And we're just going to leave everything that we've been building pretty much for the last two years. And uh, I get the news. And I'm like, that's interesting. So what's happening with the whole brand that I built for this company? And they're like, well, we're actually going to pivot the brand as well. And we're going to change. We don't think that that name fits with what we're doing now. And I'm like, well, what's happening to it? They're like, well, it's owned by the company. We're going to sell it off, right? Who can't use a 30, 40,000 follower Twitter account that has a good reputation? And I'm like, okay, well, I feel like it kind of belongs to me. They're like, well, it's the company's. So we basically come down to this moment where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to take the bet on myself because somebody else can pay them cash, but they're about to raise cash, right? They're raising a $10 million valuation on a safe. What I can give them is more valuable. It's equity. And I basically make a deal with the company in exchange for a majority of the equity that I've 
built up and held for years at this point, right before they're about to raise it, a eight-figure valuation, I take that equity and I trade it in for the brand, including the Twitter, the Instagram, the social medias, the website and everything. And I basically make the exchange and I have no idea how I'm going to make money off the Twitter. I've never had to, I've never been my focus, but take the leap to it. And here we are about 17 months later, uh, have done over half a million dollars in revenue from the Twitter, have well, been able to generate about 150, 160,000 new followers on it. Uh, growing the newsletter to over 10,000 subs and a bunch of other areas. So pretty excited with how it's been going and just always looking forward to the next thing. That's awesome. What a great story. And such a young age too, which to me warms my heart because I remember when I got started, nobody was there to help me. And the best trade you'll ever make, Warren Buffett says, is bet, bet on yourself kind of a thing, invest in yourself. And the fact that you did that and it's paying off, it's just, it's it's a great story. So let's talk about this. We've got a few things. I, I want to go many different directions here, but the core offering of Wolf Financial is that you do social media marketing and you help people expand their social presence. You've learned a lot through social media. You've been in traditional finance. You've crossed over. What are some timeless lessons that you'd like to share with the audience with respect to building the business and or making mistakes on Twitter and or other social platforms that you'd like to help people either avoid the mistakes or learn the lessons like do this and don't do that kind of thing you'd like to share? A lot of it comes down to building a brand for me. And I firmly believe that especially, you know, I wish more people who are my age were working on building that brand, which they can just carry with them for a long time. Building the brand opens doors, opportunities, revenue, so many more pieces to that. But as you're building it, I really think that there's a lot of things that you have to focus on. The first is picking an actual niche, which is going to deliver value. I think that a lot of people get caught up in, well, I'm really good at a lot of things, right? I like stocks, but I also like cooking and I also like biking. And maybe if I tweet pictures of me jumping off of a trampoline, like people like that, and they just go in all these directions versus just finding one specific niche and completely diving into that and just hammering the audience with the same message, to be honest, is what you have to do over and over and over and over on social media. The other piece with it around what I found with building a brand with companies is that social media is kind of like a person. It really, really wants attention. And it doesn't want it once a week where you come on and you say, hey, I'm here for five minutes and then you leave and you come back a week later. It's not going to pay any attention to you. It has no interest in you, right? It wants to be courted daily. It wants multiple times a day. It wants you to come in and respond to people. And a lot of that just takes a ton of time in the beginning, right? As you're scaling up. For me, up until 10,000 followers, I responded to every single comment, as long as it wasn't a ridiculous comment. There's no way I can do that now. We're just getting a different quantity. So I had to learn how to adapt. I had to bring in a team, right? I now literally have people on my team that help with responding to comments because we want the audience to see that we're there. Then we're engaged with them and we're not just an aloof person. And that is a difficult thing, I think, for people in the beginning. And so you have to go into it with the understanding of, hey, here's my consistency. Here's when I'm going to come on every single day. Here's what my niche is going to be as I niche down. And then the other piece that I really want more people to understand is that social media is not about putting something out that's never been talked about before, right? People think I can only create something if nobody else has talked about it before. That's, I have to be original. Now you can be original while still saying things that have been said before. And you have to under, accept that because we're at a point in time where pretty much everything's on the internet. It's been said and you have to figure out a different way to say it, but you can look around and see what's already working. I never just really anymore just create a piece of content off the top of my head. It's always inspired by going out and seeing what's already working on social media, formats that are working, topics that are working. Like these last two months, 
pretty much like 70% of my LinkedIn posts are about AI, right? Because it's all everyone wants to talk about is AI. It's the niche. And so you have to seize onto that niche and dive into it and create good content around it. And I think that if you follow a lot of those pieces, it's going to help. But then the one other thing is you can never underestimate how valuable and how important your network is and how you cannot do it by yourself, in my opinion. Some people do, props to them. But for 95% of people, it starts with the outreach. Even when my account had 50 followers, I was sending cold DMs out. In fact, this is pretty cool. One of my recent clients was Roundhill Investments. Roundhill, they create ETFs. We just did a big campaign for their chat ETF, actually AI themed. Will Hershey, who's the CEO and founder of Roundhill, was following me on Twitter when I had less than 100 followers. Because I was literally just cold DMing people that I really respected and that I liked their products. And two years later, became a client, right? Right. And so just building that network really helps. I love that. So let's talk about risk. What mistakes, you've mentioned some mistakes, but let's talk about how do you handle risk and what mistakes do you see people make with respect to risk management? Yeah. Well, is this risk management in relation to finance or in relation to building on social media? Both. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> okay, cool. Well, in relation to building on social media, the, the I saw this great post yesterday, in fact, and it said, there's nothing better than building your personal brand for XX and X reasons and it listed five reasons that I pretty much covered, except there's one big downfall. And that was the hook. And I clicked into it and they were right about the downfall. And the downfall is it can all be torn down in a moment, right? You have to be so careful about everything that's out there about you online um, at any given moment articles can be written, somebody can put something in, right? Especially as you grow bigger and bigger, even if something has no substance, it gains more traction. And so you have to do everything in your power to create that positive aura around you online and be really careful because there's this fine line that some people walk with social media where there's a virality aspect where you want to go viral and you want to say things that are controversial because they get more uh, engagement and followers. However, you have to balance that with your brand and people actually respecting you, taking you seriously, things along those lines. So that's the one downside to building a personal brand. Is that as you grow bigger, you get more targeted and yeah. you're going to have to figure out how to deal with that. Um, I remember like as I was first starting to scale on social media, I literally went on Google and I went through the first 20 pages of Google that had search history for my name, just in case I was like, all right, is there anything like, and I found like um, from like my fraternity, there was like uh, something that I was on a site and I was like, It's not that bad, but I probably don't want it like out there. And I was like, literally reached out to Google. I was like, take this page down. And they took the page down. Um, And so you just have to be very careful with that personal brand. In the finance side of things, the biggest way to manage risk in finance is actually sticking to one strategy, right? That's the biggest problem nowadays that you've probably heard from retail investors is that they're trying six different strategies typically at once, right? They're following seven different people into trades in discords and not actually understanding why any of them are getting into a trade or out of it. That's the harder part, of course, of trading. So what I preach to my audience is there's a number of strategies that are all okay to follow, but you have to actually follow them and you have to give them time to see if they're going to work. And you can't just try a new thing every single week or it's never going to work. We talked about this briefly beforehand, dollar cost averaging, also known as DCAing, where you're making repetitive investments into the same vehicle, typically month after month on the same date, regardless of the market being up or down. And why do people do that? Because it's historically been proven to work, especially into the S&P 500 or into the NASDAQ, which have gone up over time. Uh, that's a great strategy. You can also, I, I cater to all. You can trade options. You can trade zero DDE options. That's totally fine, but you better know why you're getting in and why you're getting out. 
Um, right. My favorite thing that I like to trade off of, I like to trade off of something called hedge pressure. It's a neat little tool that one of my friends created. And at 9.31 a.m. every day, it shows you where all major institutions are positioned. Um, basically just gives you on SP 500, hey, they're all at 4.35. Just know that if we start straying away from this, here's the outer boundaries. We'll probably bounce right back to 4.35 because they're not going to want to start losing on their positions. So that's strategy that works for me and I stick to it at nine, you know, 30 every day that's pulled up. It's on my screen. I'm not trading off of other stuff. So just like that, that's how I would tell people is find that strategy, lock in. And Hey, if after two, three months, you're just consistently having losers All right, adapt, but you're never going to figure out within a week or two, if something works for you. Yeah, no question. I love that. So style drift is what they call it, where you shift from style to style, shiny object to shiny object. I, I love that. So let's talk about the, uh, that 930 indicator. What is that? How do people get it? And, you know, go for that, go for it. Yeah, I won't make uh, a big plug on here. It's pretty easy to find. If people want it, just go to my profile on Twitter, which is at wolf underscore financial. Go to the link in my bio, which is pretty easy to find. It says link in bio underscore wolf slash financial. And there's a third link down and it says trade off hedge pressure. And that is the easiest way to go find it is just trade off hedge pressure. And what does it do? Hedge pressure is basically exactly what it sounds like. It's looking at most of these hedge funds, most of these large institutional managers, and it basically uses the option chain and it takes the culmination of all the monthly options up to expiration and it pinpoints for you, hey, based on all of these, it gives you both the monthly as well as the weekly. So it says for all the options this week, this is the middle point for all the options this month. Here's the point. And we all know that the big money moves the market. So I trade off of what the big money's doing. And I understand that if big money's positioned at 435 and we start out the morning at 432, there's a very high likelihood in my mind that within 15 to 60 minutes, we are going to make that move back up to hedge pressure. We're just going to push up to it because if we were to start going down from there, institutions who are positioned at 435 would start losing money and they can't have that happening. So right. it's just a system that I can trade around. And there's a lot more complexity to it than that. And there's a whole education and webinar that they'll teach you there. But yeah, that's a strategy that I found worked for me. And so I stuck to it. I love it. So in my book, I say there's an infinite number of ways to make money in the market. Your job is to find one that works for you. So that echoes really, really well with what you're saying. So, okay, let's talk about your spaces because that's a huge, huge, huge success, if not the most successful thing that you do, correct, with the uh, Twitter spaces? It is. It is. By the way, I have your book as well. Oh, you do? Okay, wonderful. I don't know if I told you. It's in. It's no, in you didn't tell me. Yeah, I do okay, have the book. Excellent. So um, you, any thoughts on it? You like it? Yes, I'm like halfway through it. I actually need to keep going. That's a promise. Okay. Keep sending me more books. Okay, wonderful. So that's awesome news. Um, please let me know how you think about it or what your thoughts are after you're done with it. Now, that being said, finance, your space. What are some lessons that you've learned from finance trading oriented? Because you have had a lot of folks on your show that you'd like to share with the audience, some timeless ones, besides sticking to one style that you've learned, whether it's risk management or it's entries, exits, it's whatever it is that you want to say. For sure. The biggest problem, from what I've heard from people on my show, the biggest problem that they think that retail has, besides for sticking to strategy, is position sizing. And it's finding out what your position size is going to be and having confidence in it. And that's the biggest thing that newbies need to learn, right, is if I'm option trading, am I going to take one contract, two contracts, 10 contracts? Am I going to give myself an ability to scale out? Am I too scared, right? If I take five contracts, am I going to cut the whole thing when I go down five, 10%? The position sizing has been a massive portion of this. And I found that when it comes to position sizing, working with a mentor is extremely valuable, right? Because you can then take, especially someone that aligns with your style, 
you can yeah. talk with them. You can say, hey, here's the trade. Obviously, if it's a zero DD day trade, there's not gonna be as much time to talk. But let's say it's a three, four week trade, right? You can bring it to them, say, hey, I'm looking at this trade. I have this level of confidence. I believe that I'm comfortable risking this amount. Can we talk this over, right? Having that conversation with someone who's already been there, done that, super, super helpful. I think that I agree with them. Position sizing is probably one of the hardest things when you're first starting, but it can completely make or break because the way that you manage a hundred bucks is so different from how people manage $5,000, right? It's just such a far difference with how much drawdown they're willing to take and then scaling in and scaling out. That's something that I think also is really difficult for new traders. It's all or nothing, right? It's I'm getting in here, I'm getting out here. This is my plan versus what I've seen on my spaces. The best traders have immense confidence in the trades that they're taking to the point where let's say they get in on a spy call and the market drops down, they see that as opportunity, right? It's a flip of mindset of, oh no, I'm losing money. I got to cut this to, okay, cool. Like I can lower my cost basis right here. Markets, I'm confident the market's going up here and taking that as an opportunity and just having like even an extra five minutes of patience and confidence can completely flip things, but it all comes back to having that strategy, right? So you can set up the in and out. And then that's the one other piece that I would give I think it's super, super common for people to put 90% of their focus on their entry, right? I have to get the perfect entry. I have to limit in. I've got to get this. But the exit really doesn't seem to get as much focus. It's just, oh, I'm up 10%. Let me take some profit. I'm up here, 15%. And the best traders that I've seen are typically first off doing their homework, right? They're doing night and morning before trading, and they're actually setting up profit zones so that they look at the trade and they say, hey, I'm going to be taking unity calls. Yeah. Let me go down to the one hour and see, hey, this candle, this is resistance, resistance, resistance. So when we break that, I'm going to take profit right there all the way up. And then, you know, if there's runners, I'll let them run. But setting those pieces along the way can be immensely helpful. And that's why when people are copying someone, they run into a lot of problems because they don't often have those profit zones, the places they're going to take. You can get the same fill as someone, but you can really get screwed if you don't know where to get out. Yeah, I love that. So this is the first time we speak, and it's amazing how many parallels that I've observed. So my friend Jim Ropel, have you had him on your show yet? I've not, but the name sounds super familiar. Yeah, he's a, a legendary hedge fund manager and a partner of mine over at growthstockmentor.com. He started this business because Bill O'Neill from How to Make Money in Stocks mentored him, and now he's mentoring other people. I had him on this show at Smart Money Circle. We hit it off, and I was like, hey, let's do this and help others. He's like, absolutely, and that's that was a few years ago, and the rest is history, like they say. But what he says... Or, I mean, some timeless things that I've learned from him. There's so many, but echoes what you just said. He has a great line. He goes, price can hurt you, but size will kill you. Yeah. I absolutely next level genius because he's so true, as you know. And the second thing, the mentoring part is just so phenomenally, extremely important. And the third thing that you mentioned also about style drift and making sure that your system works for you, the preparing ahead is something that I do and I talk about in the book. It, well, two thoughts. First is, if you fail to prepare, you're preparing to fail, like Ben Franklin taught us way back when. So make sure you do the preparation. And then the um, one second rule, I don't know if you got to that in the book. The second half of the book is a lot more fun than the first half. The first half of the just basics of fundamental technicals. But the second yeah. half is when you get into the uh, mental walls and cognitive biases and all this kind of stuff. So uh, you're in for a treat. But I have a one second rule. So you ever do something and then stop, whether you stop yourself out of it or you stop looking for something, you're at a red light, you put the car in park. And then almost one second later 
it turns green or you sell a stock and then almost one second later, it goes up the way you wanted it to go. So I've observed this thing and it's just a uh, phenomenon that happens over and over and over again, all, all aspects of my life. So I come up with this concept called the one second rule where it's like, oh, okay, if you just hold it for one more proverbial second, it would go your way and you're not gonna get tagged or whatever it is. So I, I love what you're saying here with the timeless advice. That's really, really, really good stuff. All right, uh, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about business and marketing and branding because I know that's an area of your expertise. I'd love to learn from it. What what knowledge or timeless lessons would you like to share with the audience? You said, I love what you said about build a brand. A, what yeah. does that mean? And how does that differ from a personal brand? And then how do you do that? Like, how do you build a brand? A brand can be a personal brand. I think you can go with both directions. Nowadays, more people than ever are building a personal brand, right? They're saying, I don't need a company name. My brand is me and I'm going to stamp that on it. I like having both my personal and my Wolf brand because I can completely go by the Wolf brand. I can merge with that. People call me Wolf all the time in person, a lot of time as well. And I go by that, but I can also bring someone else in underneath that account, right? I can have another host from there. It's no problem because it's not my name, right? So that makes it easy. And I have my separate Gov Blacksburg account. But the real thing that I found, which is the big hack to social media nowadays is growing on several social medias at once by not exerting much more effort. And the way to do this is to figure out where your content is going to start from and just allow it to flow out to all the platforms. So here's an example. On my Twitter, we put out two threads a week, the thread just being a series of, you know, a tweet and then a series of comments that all lean up on it. There's one out this morning where I talked about best majors to go for in the US right now, if you're going to college. What we like to do is not just have it go out and be one piece of content because now that can turn into so many other pieces, right? That thread, can now be broken up into a carousel and be posted right to Instagram, right to LinkedIn. It can be turned into very easily a newsletter. So now it goes out on my newsletter. So now I've created three other pieces of content from it. I can get on a YouTube video and record myself on basically just a Zoom call, walking through the thread, stating, and now it becomes a YouTube video and so on and so forth. And that's a huge thing that eventually clicked for me was the fact that my content should not just go out and be in one place, but it should go out, get tested in one place. And if it does well, then get disseminated to all of the areas of social media. And a huge thing that helps with that is actually having virtual assistants. Uh, you can hire them for a very friendly cost around the world. Um, and it can be immensely helpful to where the point where you can have this all automated, right? All you do is take 30 minutes a day, make content, put it out. And then it basically goes and gets put on every other social media instead of doing all this different type of work. Because uh, in the beginning, I was trying to make like all this other type of content for it. And then some of it would do well, some of it wouldn't. But what I found was if I just put a lot of content on Twitter and then took the best performing stuff and revitalized that onto other platforms and it all did well. And so that was a big thing for me. Number two with social media, I'll hammer down. It's very difficult to do alone. Building relationships with people who are going to interact and share your stuff is immensely important in my eyes. It's no secret that a lot of social media does run off of engagement groups. They can be bad if they're used in a certain way, but I think at a small scale, you and five of your friends get in a chat, say, hey, I know we all interact with each other's stuff, but maybe we sometimes miss a day or miss a post. What if we all send a post in here every day and we all interact with it and yeah. we all know that we like each other's content, we're in the same vertical and we scale together? That can really help you. And now, what if we all want to grow together on YouTube? 
Well, instead of starting from zero with nobody, I'm going to come over with my five buddies and maybe one of them has a thousand, one of them has 2000 and let's all scale together there too, right? And you start going down different paths with people. This basically hacks the algo. All the algo really wants on most social medias is content first off that has already done well. Anything again that we post has already probably done well. The algo looks for that same content, right? It's been trained. When everyone started making AI posts and they started popping off, why is that? It's because the algo saw the first few ChatGPT posts go crazy. Now it looks for people writing about ChatGPT because it says my consumers want this. So it feeds it to them. Then it looks for engagement, right? Specifically within the first hour, within the first hour of a post, engagement is crucial. So if you can get a post that you know is about content that the algorithm likes, and within the first hour, five to 10 accounts that have substantial followings are coming in and engaging with it, you can really get a boost on social media from that. And to be honest, you're not really spending any money, right? You're not really doing anything out of the ordinary, but you're still providing yourself with consistent growth. And then it's just doing that every single day and sometimes two times a day, right? As you're continuing to boost it up. One other piece I want to put in there is don't be afraid to go out and spend 15, 30, $50 on a course, on templates, on pieces like that. There's so many people who have done it before and the people are like, no, I refuse. Like I would never, you know, spend $50 on this, but then they'll go and like go out to dinner. And what's dinner nowadays? Like a hundred bucks, you know, yeah. and it doesn't get you anywhere. Right. I just say it's worth it sometimes to go out and spend a little money and be in one of these things. Um, like, like some of my friends did this cohort of maybe like six months ago and the cohort was meant for people who had tiny accounts who were trying to get to two and a half thousand. I had 150,000 followers at the time, but I felt like they could still help me out. So it was basically a $250, $300 cohort. It ran across uh, like a month and it was live sessions with these guys who had extremely fast growing accounts, just literally spilling all their secrets, giving us all their insights, giving us all their tools. And I came out of it with a lot better ideas. And since that cohort, I doubled my newsletter uh, size, right? And so different pieces like that, you just can't be scared to invest a little. What are some of those ideas if you'd like to share it? Sure. So one of the big things that I figured out with the newsletter was basically uh, how to plug it, actually. So with Twitter, there's a really cool tool that myself and many others use, and it's called Tweet Hunter. And a lot of people have never heard of this or never seen tools like this. And they would just get amazed that it even exists. But for me, I use Tweet Hunter so much. It is a AI writing tool that helps you create content and ideas. It also acts as a scheduler to Twitter. So allows you to schedule your content to Twitter. But then the beauty to it is, is that it allows you to do post tweet actions, oh, meaning, nice. yes. So when you tweet two to 20% of your audience sees that tweet, that means 80% of your audience doesn't see any tweets that you put out. That's because of a number of reasons. It could be time zone location, right? It could be when they're on Twitter. So what do you have to do? You actually have to every few hours, if you want people to see it, retweet that tweet. It has to come back to the top of their timeline. And people are realizing that now. However, I don't want to go back and retweet all my tweets. So Tweet Hunter allows me to set it. Hey, every three hours, my tweet's going to retweet. It'll come back to the top of the timeline. Now another 20% of my audience sees it. I do it three times. 60% of my audience sees it. Cool. I'm happy with that. Better than 20%. Right. The other piece that allows me to do is whenever a tweet hits a certain amount of likes, I can actually have it auto comment something underneath it which is actually kind of like a retweet because when you comment, it pulls it back up in the algorithm to the top of the algo now. So what happens is every time one of my tweets hits, let's say hundred or 150 likes, I can have a comment, something like, hey, if you like this tweet, you're gonna love my newsletter. Here's the link, it's free to sign up, right? I have a little bit more convincing marketing copy than that, but it's basically that idea of 
I didn't even think about it. Like until they told me like, Hey, you should be plugging all of your best performing tweets because that's what people are going to see. I'm like, Oh, that's a really cool idea. Another one that they gave me was really uh, the rule of marketing. They really hammered into me, which is people don't buy things when they first see it. They don't buy it the second time. They don't buy it the third time. It typically takes seven times, but these guys created a little bit of their own formula, which is the, uh, they call it the seven, uh, or it was the, the 511 formula. So it was better than people seeing your stuff seven times. It is them seeing it 11 times on five different platforms. Right. And that is like, they were like that you, anybody that does that, you nailed them as a customer, right? So it's figuring out how this person is going to see my stuff on Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and basically taking, because a lot of people, they actually take uh, one platform and they just market on that platform. And what they're right. not realizing is that the people on other platforms aren't getting that dual reinforcement of, oh, seeing it in multiple places. Now I'm going to have it here. And that can be as simple as plugging your newsletter, right? It doesn't have to be a sale right off the bat, anything like that. But it was just, oh, it was an interesting idea of like funneling people around from different areas that that really was helpful for me. And then just other little tips and tools. Like there's a, there's a tool like Social Blade where you can like see all these stats and detailed statistics about your follower growth, your tweet count. There's um, there's websites where you can see like where your audience is based around the world. So if it's getting too heavy in, let's say like a third world country that really doesn't interact with your tweets, you'd be like, okay, well, I got to switch something up because clearly it's targeting too much there. Just the analytics driven was really what they showed me. Love that. That's so good. Thank you for sharing. We always appreciate that. The whole point of the show is timeless advice. So anything that you could share, we, we appreciate. So um, we've discussed a lot. I guess in closing here, I'd like to ask you for the best piece of advice you'd like to share with the audience or give your younger self. Two pieces. Start building an audience today because the first 1,000 is by far the hardest, Right. And if you start today, you're going to get much closer to that 1,000 faster than you think. Even if it takes a year to get to 1,000, things are going to spring after that. Uh, nice little case study, actually. Uh, my girlfriend is also in content creation, and she does it on Instagram, mostly through video content. And she had been posting for two years and had 1,500 followers. Two years, but she still posted every single day. A month ago, one of her videos finally hit the algo, and she went up 25,000 followers in a month. Wow. Right. It, it can happen whenever you have to start putting in the content and treating social media again, like a person started yeah. right now. There's so many niches that people want content creation in, but the beauty to it is you do not have to come up with something that's never been said. You just have to go out, find content that's doing well, find formats that you like, and then tweak it and put your own personal spin on it, put your own personal story on it, and you can grow. Number two, start investing. Now uh, I have all these friends that are like, I think mentally scarred by the last three years of the stock market that are sitting on like six figures of cash and are just like putting it in money market funds. And yeah. that's cool. Like you can put some money in money market funds, but understand, you know, I get it. The stock market's run up. Apple's at all time highs. But if you take 50 stocks that are at all time highs and 50 stocks that are at all time lows and you invest in the all time high ones, you're going to do better than the one that all time lows. So continue investing, continue getting money into the market uh, in a strategy that works for you and stay consistent with it. I love it. Well, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the show. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you or follow Twitter. you on? Okay, Twitter, the handle. Follow me on Twitter, Wolf Financial. DM me. I see every single DM. Um, so I'm always happy to talk. Beautiful. Thank you so much. We'll have you on again soon. Thank you, Adam.